Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Claire McKenna. You're listening to Changemakers, the podcast series talking to people at the forefront of change. But you should never underestimate the power of a conversation to reframe how we see things, influence the information we seek out and the conversations we go on to have. This is all part of the change process. Ooh, today is a big episode. I was digesting and thinking about this conversation for days after we recorded it. Today's guest is Patrick McAndrew. Patrick runs Momentum Mind Academy, an educational company that gives people the tools to manage their attention, control their mindset and expand their intellect. He's currently bringing his workshops and presentations to corporates. But today we speak about how we can all go from a fractured mind to a momentum mind. A long research tradition suggests that psychological momentum plays a critical role in goal pursuits and achievement. Patrick's passion is bringing this idea to everyone's mind. You don't have to work in an office or be a CEO to feel the benefits of a momentum mind or the struggle of a fractured one. Today, Patrick and I speak about the demands put on our minds from our smartphones, the dwindling attention span so many of us feel and how to combat it all. Interest in this area began for Patrick when he decided to move to New York with the vision of working in the restaurant trade, but a speed reading course changed everything. I hope you'll hear that there's no judgment of any of us who are addicted to technology, to social media. This is all part of modern life. And as you'll hear Patrick say, we need to make sure we are using it rather than letting it use us and make time to check in with ourselves rather than live totally distracted. So Patrick McAndrew, you're very welcome to Changemakers. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Claire. And before we get into your workshops and the change you're hoping to bring about there, tell me a bit about going to New York, because your original intention itself went through quite a, a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I studied law in college. And with that, you had to spend, I did, I did an Erasmus and I spent a year in Toulouse. And during that time, I, I found much more joy working in a restaurant than I did going to college. And after finishing my degree, I thought, okay, that's the thing that I want to pursue. I found, I found restaurants very interesting. I thought that they were, you could experience an aspect of a culture in a different part of the world in a restaurant that was somewhat authentic. And there was a few of those in Toulouse. And I was being exposed to things that I never had in Ireland. I don't think, I don't think I grew up with a great appreciation of food, of the kind of culture, the dynamics behind it. So that became very interesting to me. And I moved to New York to pursue that. And did you not find it stressful? Because I love the coming together of food, you know, of people to enjoy food. I love being somewhere where it's obvious that food is, is somebody's passion. Mm. But I look at anything like MasterChef or any of the competitions on TV and to see how a kitchen works, I, I find that way too stressful. 
Yeah, it was very stressful. I I moved to New York and I w- just had this in my mind that I wanted to work in the food industry. In in my final year of college, I read an article that said that Brooklyn was the new uh, the new central hub of food in the world. It was no longer Paris. Brooklyn was dictating the pace. And you can kind of see a sense of that today. The kind of like casual fine dining restaurants. Um, they took shape in Brooklyn and they kind of got brought outwards in the world. But I, I arrived in New York with no sense really of what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to be a chef, but I wanted to work in the food industry. So I was asking people everywhere. And for the first, I think, six or seven months of my time in New York, I was just doing that. I was working as a laborer on a building site and I was just trying to read books um, on different things about food. And eventually I got a job as a general manager in a restaurant. I was 22 and I had no experience, apart from that only time in the restaurant in France, which is very calm, very quiet, and not nearly as busy as it would have been in New York. So my first week on the job, I was now on the, I was, I was serving, essentially, I was, I was there on the pass, so I was taking all of the dishes and I was pr- putting them the out e- into the, the servers. The expediter. The expediter. And it fell apart, and I think it all started to fall apart within about 25 minutes. And I was the GM. There was 27 people in the restaurant. They were expecting that I had some knowledge coming into it. And it was evident on that day that I had none. Um, And I had to say to them, I'm so sorry, but let me do it again next week. And I'll probably fail, but maybe I'll last a little bit longer. And then you'll have to jump in and we'll keep doing it until I can get it. And uh, yeah, that that was a great learning experience. And I did that for about a year and a half working there. And then then after that, I, I, I got a sense that I wanted to move away from the world of food into the world of business a little bit. And what was that transition like? When did that happen? Because I think that's really interesting and we don't talk about that enough, about setting a goal, getting to it, and sometimes it not being as shiny as we thought it was going to be and how it's okay to change because you could have gone to another restaurant and said, well, it's just the, the restaurant and I need to do this and kept hammering away. Whereas how did you know in your, in your gut that it was a step away from food? when I wanted to leave the food industry and go towards business. Yeah, what was that transition like? I think sometimes we're afraid to change course. Well, I was kind of seeped in people who had done that because during the time of opening the restaurant, what I found most interesting is that a lot of the people who I met had come from past careers into the food industry. And this was around the time that Chef's Table was was hated the first season to come on to Netflix, but it was all the story of the chefs. And I was meeting lots of interesting people like producers sommeliers of course chefs and restaurateurs um even some food academics and they'd come from all these different streams of life where they had solid careers and jobs but something was drawing them to food so i i wanted to tell that story and alongside that i started a podcast called why food and it was people who it was it was exploring why people gave up this solidity in their lives for something that was far more unpredictable had less of all of the things which were taught to aspire to like you know it was it was unpredictable uh, the hours were not kind the money was was not great uh, there was no benefits yet it gave them a resurgence in their life's purpose so i wanted to go beyond the restaurateurs and the chefs to understand why food why are we all moving towards this and during that time i i felt i suppose i i could look back on it and felt to some degree like an imposter because I was 23, uh, 22, 20. Yeah, I was 23 when I started the podcast and I was interviewing all these people who were much older than me and had these 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 wonderful life stories. And, and I realized I didn't really have a great sense of the world. Um, and one thing that lacked was understanding how kind of business is conducted. So I wanted to leave 
that that world because because food can kind of feel like fashion in a sense where it just keeps going from season to season restaurants close restaurants open there's things that are now on the menu there's things that pass one year burrata is on every menu the next year it's something else you know and 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 i wanted to move out of that bubble i had seen what i needed to see and i ended up in tech sales and maybe that was what i needed to see for a few years and that's interesting because often when we talk about food aside from the restaurateurs or the chefs we see that as their life's passion or their their purpose but the other people working especially wait staff we mm. think it's just transient that you're only doing it mm. to get yourself through college or for a certain chapter whereas there's a lot of people who are really passionate about it but looking at their passion you were thinking i don't know if i ha- if i if i share that and when i'm looking at everything else you've learned along the way I wouldn't mind adding to my CV a little bit. Yeah, I needed to expand my vision of the world. My, my, my exposure to the world, I think I'd say. That's, that's what I would say it was. And, and that came and it was another kind of a drop, you know. Then I went into a job where I was making way less. It wasn't really work that I enjoyed, to be honest with you. But it felt like it was necessary. It felt like I needed to go through that passage and 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 I did um and I so I I started working for a a tech company in Galway um but I was in New York so I was kind of leading their expansion of this software into the states and I did that for about two years and in somewhere about four months before that job came to an end I took a speed reading course and uh, and that changed everything and that's that's what led to the path of where I am today so where did the speed reading course come from so remember I was telling you I was a laborer at the beginning when I was before I got into the the restaurant job so I started off as a laborer but then there was I was working for a property management company as well um, during that time and I it was an Irish guy who ran that property management business and I started working with him in the office at some stage and it was a strange I suppose I was his assistant but we kind of went through the strange morning process where we'd both sit down at his desk and go through his emails and he would read out his responses and I would have to type them and send them off. And every time we'd come to like a long email, he'd always finish it faster than I would. And I, I wanted to try and get there faster than him. But whenever I would, I would miss something. He'd say, oh, you missed that point. Because uh, I kind of, we discussed the emails. So I said to him one day, I said, how are you doing this faster than me? And he said, oh, I took a speed reading course when I first came to New York. And that was 20 years ago. And I understand now that speed reading was a popular thing in the 70s. Uh, J- John F. Kennedy uh, did it and was kind of a proponent of it. And then it became very popular in the late 60s, 70s. Um, and it's kind of died off as a trend since then. But he had done it when he moved to the States. And it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to do it. But I never really pulled the trigger to go for it. So at some point, yeah, in 2018, the end of 2018, I decided, OK, let's do this. And... Um, and it changed everything. Uh, the, the reason why I'd say it, it changed everything is because I don't know if speed reading is actually a thing. So I don't know. Like, there's people out there who will say that they can read, like, you know, crazy stuff, like 900 words a minute. I don't actually know if that's true. And I don't really buy into it. But what I do know is that it's a fluid skill. And it's almost like the gears in a car where you can learn how to move up and down in speed. And there's ways of engaging with a book that's difficult and complex and before that before I took that course I couldn't finish a book and there was books that I wanted to read but I felt like I didn't know how to approach them and suddenly in these four hours I'd learned that this thing that I had in me which was that I was a bad reader 
was not true, that there is not necessarily such thing as a good nor a bad reader. It's where you are on a spectrum of the capacity that you have. Because we learn how to read when we're four, typically, four or five, and we never return to the tools that we learned and upgrade them. Yet the complexity of what we read and what's expected of us grows exponentially over our lifetimes, especially today in the time of information. So that that became very interesting to me. Now my brain was something that was this malleable thing and I could learn about how to read and try and experiment when I was reading. I could try and experiment with, with my memory and start using techniques and tools to improve my memory for things. And you know that started to change things. Can we get into the speed reading a little then as a skill? Because this fascinates me, how we read, like you mm. say. And if you are reading a, a good book, it's like you go into that flow state. Mm -hmm. You kind of forget your reading and, and it's as if you're just visualizing the story in your head. And I always think that transition is really crazy. You go from focusing on the words to just zoning out in some way. But also, like you described there with the email, sometimes we don't read every word on the page. So particularly now, as you say, the way we get information is so different. It's often on a phone. And I find it very difficult to read all of a text message and get all of the details. I'll take a glance, take what I think it says. And I've been caught. I've been caught sometimes. Or I got an email yesterday uh, for a company I work for and they're changing their invoicing system. And they were talking about us getting this new PO number. And I swear to God, it took me about five minutes to find where am I going to get this PO number from? And I really had to focus my mind to say, it's OK, Claire, just keep going back. It's in there somewhere. He must be saying somewhere where we're going to get this PO number. And it took me a long time. So is that the skill of speed reading? Because you said the guy you witnessed with the emails, he wasn't missing a word. He was reading fast, but he was taking all the information in. Yeah, one thing I'd say on that, say in the example of your phone, is that is that the the medium dictates your your capacity to focus and engage with it as well. You know, so it, it was a while ago when I came across this study, but it was it was showing that the capacity to be present and to focus was dictated often by the medium as well. So, for example, to hold focus on a phone it'll be a lot less than it would be on a computer and the computer will be less than it would be in a book or if it's in a printed document. So it's, it's, it's important to recognize that because, because we, have a certain, we have a certain pattern of how we use these products. So there's a pattern of how you are kind of entrained and how to use a book or to read something that's on a document in front of you. There's a pattern of how you use a computer um, as well with the phone it's, it's very instant you're moving very quickly so that is influencing your way of reading so you know for example just to possibly expand on that if you look at like Google Chrome or if you look at Safari now they have a reader view um, if people maybe have noticed that that in the top left of where you put in the search bar of the browser in Safari, whether it's on your phone or on your computer, there's like a capital A and a small A. And if you click on that, it changes the view because it's now setting the view for the reader. So it's just creating a lot of space for the text to be filled up. So on that, I would say that that's important to recognize that the medium dictates your kind of cognitive engagement with it. But then in talking about reading, so if I can kind of bring myself back to where I was when I began, there's a few things that made a big difference for me. One was that 
I never created um, an endpoint or at least a desired destination. And I'm referring back to books now. So I would just pick up a book and I would read and eventually this state of boredom would come upon me and that could be after a page or two pages. And then with that state of boredom, I'd turn and I'd pick up my phone and I mightn't return to the book for an hour or for the rest of the day. So that made a big difference when I started to realize that every time, and this was kind of training myself at the start, I would create an endpoint. So I wanted to get, there was five pages left in the chapter. Okay, I'm just going to read the next five pages to get to the end of the chapter. Now, if that state of boredom or that discomfort arises in my body, at least I know the point that I'm moving towards. So it's just getting five pages in. And then after five pages, I've, I've accomplished something and I can put it down. So that was a big transition because a lot of times when we turn to books, we don't have that, you know? So anytime we feel that desire to move or shift our attention, we just do. The second thing was I started to make it a very, very, very engaging practice um, in the way that I would take notes. So a big thing was that if there was something to Google or something to explore more about, I wouldn't Google it then. I would just put a G and circle it in the margins so that at, as I got to the end of the chapter or the end of the book, I'd go through all the things which needed to be looked into. Or I started writing lots of notes. I started realizing that I'm in discourse with the author. I'm in discourse with them about what I view because the way that I understand learning today is that there's three steps to it. There's to consume the information, there's to connect it to where it's relevant and meaningful to you, and then there's to reflect on it, which could be done through having a conversation like we've had before, or it could be through writing, writing to yourself, um, possibly just mulling over thoughts from what you've, what you've read or what you've watched. And all of those three steps are so important. And you can do the consuming and the connection at the same time when you're reading. And that takes it a step further. So if you can bring that sort of presence to when you learn how to read in a book, it kind of transfers over to then when you're reading emails or when you're reading on your phone. But bearing in mind the medium of the computer and the phone do distract you a lot more and that you will read differently than you would when it's in a book. Yeah, I interviewed um, Sarah Wilson. She's an Australian author and activist, and she writes a lot about mental health, but she also writes about the climate crisis and trying to get people on board to really pay attention to what's going on and get focused. And she spoke about the importance of long reads and how, you know, we're just we're just scrolling. We're not really taking anything in. And what she does is if she sees a long read article that she thinks will have been will will be of benefit to her to educate her and inform her a little bit more she just saves it onto her desktop and then on a sunday this is her ritual she makes a pot of tea brings the the cup over sits down and she might read 10 long read articles and give them her focus and that kind of blew my mind because we're not consuming newspapers the way we used to we're not reading the way we used to and I know books are having a real resurgence but when we see what happened with Cambridge Analytica and how our brains can be hijacked and our opinions can be hijacked it's actually really important isn't it that we commit to this process a little bit or, or even open our eyes and be aware of how we are taking in information. Massively but but I think I think there's there's a deeper um perspective on life which needs to be understood as to why we do that so to take it to, we're talking about reading but we're using that as kind of a base of a, a larger spectrum of things which is which is I, I i did that i did that speed reading course and i found it very interesting and then i ended up working for that bit company iris reading and traveling around the united states for a year 
going to high schools and colleges and uh, different businesses and companies and teaching them about reading skills and memory and helping them improve these cognitive skills. And everywhere I went, from the very top of, of com- people who were leading Fortune 500 companies to MBA students at Ivy League universities to high, young high school students, everybody was experiencing the same thing where there was such an overload of information coming in and they felt like they were racing to keep up with it all, but yet they felt completely scattered. And the more I looked at it, the more it started to just, it, the only way that I could, I was always like I was seeing it in front of me in the rooms when I would speak to people during the breaks or after I would give a workshop. It was a fractured mind. And that's what it, that's what it felt like to me. It was a mind that was extremely fractured in its desire to do something, but it just didn't have the capacity because it was so stretched in so many different areas. And a lot of this comes down to the sense of us needing to be super efficient and super productive and how we shape our relationship with time, that we need to be filling it with doing stuff. We must do something. We must be consuming information. I was... I was on a trip in Turkey once and uh, I got I bumped into this couple and we were walking down to the beach and uh, I was telling them about my work and uh, the guy there said oh well you should tell her and I said why and he said she's always on her phone and she said yeah but I'm I'm being productive and I said I said what does that mean what do you mean you're being productive and she said like I I just want to be learning all the time and I said so what happens when you eat a meal and you're alone she's well I'm watching stuff and I said why are you watching stuff well, because it's a perfect chance to learn something. But we started talking about it, and I started asking her, but is it? And, and as she, we started going into it, well, no, it's not, because you're eating a lot more. You're not aware of when you're full. You're not actually engaging or enjoying the meal. You're not realizing it. You're not recognizing what you're actually consuming. And then you're not learning what you're learning, because your brain doesn't have the capacity to switch back and forth. It can switch back and forth, but it can't be present with what it is that you're consuming. Once again, all you're doing is consuming the information. You're not giving yourself an opportunity to connect and then reflect. So it's coming in, but it's going out just as quickly. So there's a huge amount of shallow consumption of information today. And that's really all we're doing is we're very aware of what's going on, but at a very shallow level. We're very capable of um, exchanging facts and uh, paraphrasing what people have said but we haven't had the capacity to really internalize it and process it and think about what we think about certain things. And this comes down to the, the kind of the pro- problem of focus today. And my area of interest is, is in the way that it takes place in work. And that's one of the pr- biggest issues today is that people aren't really able to perform or do the work that they want to do because their attention is completely scattered because of some of the things which we've spoken about but also in just in the way that work is taking place today. In, for companies who didn't have Slack or Microsoft Teams before COVID, they adopted all of those instant communication tools and more. And all that has done is made us much more available to incoming information, but far less available to ourselves. And it's created more of a cycle internally that I must be aware. I must be aware of what's happening in the ether in case there's any information which is needing my involvement. But there's very little capacity for me to actually focus, be present, think deeply, do important work, or even just be present with people in my lives and in my family. And that's as a consequence of this need to be productive and efficient all the time. And it is very overwhelming, like you say, but there was something you said there that I think is is key. When you did that speed reading course, it opened your eyes to the fact that we can hone these skills, we can flex Mm. these muscles, and we can improve our cognitive 
abilities? How? Yeah, well, like, I, I at the time at the time when I was doing this work with the speed reading company, I was seeing all of this as like a fractured mind in terms of what I was seeing amongst people. I was in the exact same boat. I I had started my own business at that time. It was a, an audio marketing agency, and I had all the reasons in the world to be motivated and focused. Yet when I would arrive to my office and try and do work. I, I was just doing so much busy work that it, w- it would come to 3 or 4 p.m. And then I realized, okay, I actually have to do the thing that matters. And I'd start doing it, but I wouldn't be finished until 9 or 10 p.m. Now, this was happening, and I was aware of it, but I wasn't fully aware of it until the first lockdown happened, and I was in New York. And now I was sitting in my apartment, and there was no excuses. There was no events to go to in the evening. There was nobody coming in and disturbing me. It was just me and me. And because it was like Groundhog Day, you know, it was clear and obvious that I could not focus. And I think everybody that I've spoken to from the workshops that we do has experienced the same thing. Because there was no outside change in our, in our environment, we realized how difficult this was. So how do we do it? Well, there's a couple of different things that we need to talk about, about what dictates our capacity to focus. And when I say focus, it's to bring your attention solely onto something that matters, that you want to commit until the end of the the task or to complete something. The first thing which became interesting for me to learn about was, um, was distractions in my environment. So needing to get rid of all notifications on my phone, all of the, I got rid of all social media apps. I actually wiped email off my phone. Um, I now have it back, but I just don't have notifications which show up. All of these types of things, I started to think about um, how, how available am I making myself to incoming information. And if I am making myself available, it should be very important. It should be very important in leading me towards the direction of what's important in my life or in my work. And if it's not, it's gone. So that means that if it's like a news app or a sports app or any of those things, that doesn't mean that because I'm an Arsenal fan, I'm not going to follow what Arsenal are at, but I'm not going to have Sky Sports on my phone. I'm not going to be getting notifications of, of breaking news stories. They're gone. If I need to find it, I'll go out and search for it. So that was a, that was a transition. That was a beginning point. Then another thing which was really important was understanding our lifestyles. Sleep was the biggest changer for me because back in that back at that time you know i was i was all into the 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 hype and the hustle and a lot of that is a complete disregard of your body it's just about grinding it out more and more so i was trying to do this whole 5am club thing because because it was a symbolic representation that you could work but it, you know it was it was a load of bs really i mean in terms of my physiology there's people that i know that wake up naturally at 5am but as a consequence they go to sleep at like 8pm yeah, because they need you were to do that. Until nine, yeah. flicking through your phone, then till eleven. So it's not good quality sleep. Not at all. Not at all. And then you're doubling up in coffees to try and stay stay awake and get through the day. So I just started giving myself a lot of sleep. I started I started trying to go. I started and before that, then another step was I started detaching from my phone in the evenings and in the mornings. So I would put it away in a different part of the room from six thirty p.m. And then I, I wouldn't look at it at least for a little an hour or so in the morning. And I was starting to give myself that time to wind down. Now, all of this sounds like obvious, like, of course, why wouldn't you do this? But it was not easy. And the reason why it wasn't easy is because I was so emotionally involved with my phone. Our phones are not objects or just tools. They are extensions of ourselves. They have become extensions of ourselves. 
all the technologies that we use in our lives, like our cars, our phones, TVs, washing machines, our AirPods, they are extensions of ourselves. They're extension of our sensory engagement with the world. Yeah, because we can curate them all to suit ourselves. They're not just inanimate objects. Oh my God, they're so full of emotion because of the motion that we put onto them. You know, they fill gaps of voids, of boredom, of sadness, of loneliness, of happiness. They, they fulfill that role. So what I'm talking about is the steps that I took and people can take to create more space. But then you have to become aware of what you're going to do with that space. Because you could easily just delete Instagram on your phone, but then suddenly, you know, turn that attention in towards looking at YouTube on your computer. And, you know, that's just substituting one ill for another. So we don't want to go down that path, but rather, first of all, as I said, reducing the amount of incoming information, unless it's really pertinent and important to you, starting to become the architect of your environment, choosing the quality of your attention. But to do that, you need to understand what you want your attention to go towards. So the step before that is to dictate, to realize and decide for yourself what path and direction you want your life to take. You know, what's meaningful, what's important and recognizing within that, that we're very limited. We're very limited with what we can attend to. So let me first choose. Then on the basis of those choices that I've made about the life that I wish to live, let me remove the things which are wasteful. Not all of them, but most of them. And then let me start living in such a way that allows me to be more cognitively sharp. So that being getting my, giving myself more sleep. Um, and the next step after that, which I started to realize is that not all hours in the day are created equal. We have certain windows where we're most cognitively sharp. For some people, about 25 to 28%, they're night owls. So that will start to kick off for them around 5, 6 p.m. where they feel like they can start doing the work, where they can start getting into things. For some people, a smaller percentage, it's really early in the morning. It's between like 6 and 11 a.m. Yeah, even a little, yeah, about 6 and 11 a.m. And then for the majority of people in the middle, it's somewhere between like 8 or 9 to 8 or 9 a.m. to like 1 p.m. And this is where that, that, that cognitive sharpness is. And this is dictated by our circadian rhythm. And our circadian rhythm is the rhythm that we have within our own bodies, which is primarily shaped by the by brightness and darkness, which is by the rising of the sun and the falling of the sun and uh, the presence of the moon. And our body goes through these rhythms all of the time, where there are certain times which are better for exercise, certain times which are better for cognitive work, certain times where the body is healing and restoring itself. So there's a window there for cognitive alertness. And for me, it's really between the hours of about 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. So now I started looking at it and realizing, okay, so what I need to do is learn how to get better at what I do during these windows, not looking at it from like a commitment to trying to work from nine to five. Because what I think a lot of people are doing today is that as we resort to working from home, the, the working day is expanded over to like 10 or 11 hours, but it's a level of, it's a mediocre level of performance over 11 hours, rather than trying to get better and better within a window of three or four hours. Because you can respond to all the emails and do all the admin work, the kind of icky bicky work that needs to be done in the afternoon, because that doesn't require a lot of cognitive engagement. But there's th stuff that's meaningful and important where you need to write stuff, think about stuff, decide stuff, create stuff. For, for most people, there's those night outs that should be done in the evening. But for most people, it should be done in the morning. And this is suddenly where it became a process of trying to get better at this and teaching myself how to how to improve that. But you need all of the kind of the elements, the ingredients, which I spoke about before, which is your environment, your physiology, getting that better with enough sleep. Um, understanding you know which path you want to take in life understanding where you're better you probably have a sense of that already whether you're early morning mid-morning or the evening 
Um, and if you can start to become aware of those things, that's a, that's a big shift. That's a big, big shift compared to where most people are at today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. So if I use myself as a guinea pig with the way my brain and memory and focus seems to work now. So, for example, yesterday I was flicking through Instagram. Something came up. I've arranged to go to see a play with a friend later in the week. She hadn't confirmed whether or not she'd book the tickets. And I saw this thing pop up and I thought, oh, that's on on Thursday night. If she hasn't booked the tickets, that might be nice for us to go to. Head on about my day. Two hours later, I go to text her. Do you think I could remember what that thing was that I'd seen? Not a clue. Some kind of concert, some kind of gig. Just hadn't a clue. And I'm Googling what's on in Dublin on, you know, the the date. And I just couldn't get it because I hadn't confirmed it to my memory and I hadn't taken a snapshot of it which is my new memory tool so I I wasn't able to go there and I find there's pieces of information like that in my life that just seem to dissolve into the background and likewise you, you mentioned the medium affecting how our brain operates and how we bring in that information so if I have the laptop open I'll have a number of tabs open likewise on my phone And I might go to write an email and all of a sudden I find I'm reading something else or I'm starting to write something else or I'm halfway through that email and I say, oh, I must order that thing online that I forgot about. And it's not staying in the one tab to complete the the, the project or the, the task at hand. Likewise, I might pick up my phone, say I must text Patrick and just check he's okay for that interview next week but I don't go straight to texting Patrick something's on my my front of my phone and next thing I'm sucked down a rabbit hole of of God knows what so I I presume so many people are operating like this so so what kind of underutilization is that of our cognitive function and is it causing any damage can it be turned around yeah it's 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 such a I'm, I'm so, so thank you for sharing that because it <laughs> really like shares the perspective of and the experience of so many people and I can relate to that of course I mean because that's that's very much so how I used to approach life and my engagement with with tools um I will talk about how why that happens and why it's 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 detrimental um but the first thing that I'd like to just say on that of what you were talking about is a uh, a term that uh, a lady called Linda Stone coined, which was continuous partial attention. So, you know, we hear about multitasking and multitasking was something which was kind of brought to light of how you can do two tasks simultaneously. But we've gone so far beyond that now um, where she coined this term being continuous partial attention so that you are continuously partially attending to multiple things at once without any actual uh, definitive 
end goal within any of those things. So what that could be is I'm checking Instagram. Now I've got a text. I'm answering the text. Now let me just flick back because I haven't looked at my emails in the last five minutes. So let me flick back and check. Oh, there's something there. And somebody has a newsletter. And now I've opened up that newsletter and I've read the first four sentences. But that's triggered me a thought of uh, something that I should get back from last week. And this is what's going on. Okay. And and sounds exhausting, even when I was describing it <laughs> and what you've just said. I mean, surely there's a better way, a more efficient use of our energy and our skills. Yes. The reason why it happens, though, is because is because we're so brought into the promise of everything that is available to us. And um, we're so brought into the promise of being able to communicate more efficiently. We're so brought into the promise of being more available. But we need to understand the, the cost of that. And the most important thing, and just for people who are listening to this, the knowledge of the knowledge will bring change. So if, if you're hearing what Claire and I are saying and you're feeling the weight of this being similar to your own experience, don't carry any judgment because this is, this is the majority, you know. Um, this is because our lives are so busy and occupied. But simply the knowledge of the knowledge of what we're talking about here can bring the change. Not judgment and not scorning yourself and certainly not trying to be extremely extreme about making grand changes. It's, it's a slow progressive thing. But what I'm going to talk about here is, is working memory. Working memory can sometimes be referred to as short-term memory. But if we can think about it as if um, it's, it's where we hold and manipulate information. So what I mean by that is before the days of Google Maps, if you arrived to a new city or a place that you wanted to go to, you'd ask somebody for directions. And you'd be able to gather a certain amount of steps in the directions. But if they were to go after maybe three or four or five landmarks, it's like you lost everything, you know? So you could either get three or four or you got nothing if they went over that. That's what's happening there is that's your working memory in action, okay? So that's your capacity to kind of hold and receive new information and do something with it. But what we know is that there is, there's, a, there's a real limitation on that. Um, a study that was done in the 50s or a paper that was written in the 50s uh, claimed it to be seven plus or minus two. So... That means that it could be nine or it could be five bits of information. But now we understand it's more about three plus or minus two. So it could be one bit of information or it could be five bits of information, depending on a couple of things, depending on how familiar you are with something. So, for example, if somebody was going to give you directions in Dublin, they'd be able to give you more steps because you'd have more anchor points of where things are. But if you were down in, let's say, I don't know, Kinsale, it'd be very different because you wouldn't have as many. So you'd only. So that's important. Other things is how many, how much exterior information is within your working memory. So I'm just going to keep riffing with this example of directions. But then if you're in Dublin and somebody has given you um, five steps of a direction and you're very, very familiar with the place, but you're also thinking of um, this interview today and you're thinking of something which I suggested and you're processing that you're going to be able to hold less of the information because yeah. I'm taking up some. Or if you're late and stressed. Exactly. Exactly. Your, your, your own internal state is hugely important in the, in the capacity that you have within your working memory. So when you start to exceed the boundaries of your working memory, it's like there's like a shutdown within your brain and you have to start all over again. And for so many of us, this is what's happening moment to moment throughout the day. And that's why we feel like it's taking us hours to do work, which should take minutes. Because our working memory is like the bottleneck into our cognitive capacities. So what I mean by that is a neuroscientist explained it to me as like your working memory is like 
I don't know if this analogy works, but we'll go with it and you can tell me if it connects or not. It's like a handful of sand, okay? That's how much you can hold. But your cognitive capacity within your brain is like all of the sand across all of the beaches on the earth. But we have to get through the bottleneck of what you can hold in this hand. So what that's referring to is that if you're trying to do work, if you're trying to write something that's complex or learn something that's complex or make a decision, you have to break it down into chunks and bits and approach it step by step, but keep your attention on that thing at hand, but break it down bit by bit and you'll make your way through it. And as you draw your attention and focus to it within the boundaries of your working memory, you start to really get into that groove of that focus. But where we struggle to do that today so much is because anytime we feel a sense of discomfort, which comes from trying to focus, anytime you're trying to focus or engage with something, you will feel discomfort. You will not feel so good. We turn to deal with that discomfort by picking up our phone or checking our email or looking at the news or checking Twitter. And every time we, we divert our attention like that, we're, we're, we're meeting the capacity of our working memory. So our brain is almost like it's shutting down and then we have to start from scratch again. And over time, if you keep doing that, a study that was done recently um, by Stanford, it was like a comparative study looking at many, many, many different papers over the last 10 years and the connection between multitasking and our cognitive skills. One, a few things that they found was that they distinguished groups between high media multitaskers. So media multitaskers being that they use their phone and multiple apps on their phone and their email and uh, listening to podcasts and music and different things. So lots of different forms of media. And then low media multitaskers, which is that their way of living and doing work is that they focus. But yes, of course, sometimes they might divert and check Google for something, but it's their lives are not based on this form of continuous partial attention. So these are the kind of two distinct groups, high media multitaskers, low media multitaskers. What they found is that the high media multitaskers had a lower, had a, had a smaller working memory capacity. So because they were multitasking all of the time, their ability to hold information, incoming information, was smaller. So that means that if you're engaging in a conversation with somebody and you're trying to listen to what they're saying, you're struggling to follow the thread of what's going on. Because to do that, you're also struggling to fully explain and express yourself. Because to be a good storyteller, to be a good communicator, you need to have a working memory capacity to hold what you were saying, what you are saying, what you will say. Um, also writing or thinking or processing information, working memory is crucial to that. The second thing which they found was, was that even if they weren't dealing, these people who were high media multitaskers, even if they weren't dealing with a lot of distractions in their environment, such as uh, things come popping off their phone, emails coming in, if they got rid of all of that, all of the external distractions, their natural internal state was that they would distract themselves even when they tried to focus, because they had become so conditioned to this way that anytime I draw my attention to something, it becomes disrupted by something else. And the third one, which I think is so interesting, is that the, when the stakes were low or the pressure was low, the low media multitaskers performed far better in their capacity to get things done than the high media multitaskers. But when the pressure was high and there was a lot of stress, they performed at the same level. So what that tells us is, is that if you're living that way, you need to be stressed to get stuff done. So we're often creating the stress in our environment because we need it, because without it, we won't get anything done. If we're living in such a manner where our, we're kind of engaging in that continuous partial attention. So all of this requires a great oversight of your life, kind of a, 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 kind of a, a 30,000 foot view to realize what am I doing? 
you know what what am i doing and what's important and recognizing that you're shaping the quality of your attention but we could bring that back to your working memory you're shaping that every day and you can either you can either do certain things that are starting to expand it or you can do things which are starting to contract it and the contraction of your working memory means that you get to bring less of you into the quality of your relationships the quality of your work and your capacity to access those those cognitive skills which are lying there awaiting you and that's why i think it's so important yeah and i think that's really interesting because you said your focus obviously to your workshops is improving performance at work and mm. working to the best of your ability but it actually spills over into the quality of your life and the ability to listen so what sort of changes have you felt in your life since you started to, to live this way well that's a good question um so i've i've learned to enjoy my own company um and i've learned the importance of distinguishing between if I'm gonna focus on my work at the moment, I've learned to distinguish between the importance of important work and busy work, because there are days where I can look back in the day and think, oh, I was just so wound up by the thought that I needed to be doing something that I had no sense of the quality of, or the meaning of actually what I was doing. And that's been a big shift. So as a consequence, I've been able to get a much better gauge and sense of when I'm on and when I'm off. And if I'm off, and if I've been on three three Zoom calls over the course of the afternoon, I'm not gonna turn to my phone. I'm gonna go for a walk in the woods for 20 minutes, or I'm just gonna lay down for five or 10 minutes, or I've turned to things like Yoga Nidra. Um, there's different scripts for that that you can get on Spotify or on YouTube, and I'll just listen to those for 20 minutes. And then I'll come back so refreshed and I'll be able to either do more work or realize that that's okay for the day. So I've, I've learned how to do more by doing less because I've become very selective about what I'm welcoming in and where I'm directing my attention. And that's been a, a wonderful lived experience because it feels like everything has a lot more clarity and direction. But as well as that, I've been able to be a lot more present, I think, with the people around me in my life. Um, and yeah, a greater sense of of understanding. I think, you know, there's a lot of talk and a lot of conversation today about the issues with uh, these major tech companies and the, the relationship that they have with our attention and that this needs to change and that there should be more ethical uh, standards around what companies do with our attention. But I also think that if we were to eradicate, say, for example, everything, m most people would turn to look for other distractions. And the reason being is because we are not taught how to, how to live with ourselves, how to accept the feelings which we have inside. A lot of the workshops, that, a lot of the topics that we cover in the workshop is that, yes, you know, you're going to give yourself more time in the morning and more time in the evening and become much more aware um, about what you're welcoming into your life and, and take a lot more purpose and direction about how you're designing and architecting your life and your lived environment, but also you're going to feel discomfort. Sometimes you're not going to be able to sleep at night, sometimes, or not as soon as you want to. Sometimes you're going to feel boredom in a moment when your friend goes to the toilet and you're at a restaurant. But let's talk about how you use those situations so that you don't go to the, to the 
you know, the path of least resistance towards your phone to use that discomfort, but you become more capable of inquiring within in yourself about what's going on and learning to just become comfortable with it. Because that's ultimately where the, a lot of these technologies te- fill up so much space in our lives is that in these moments of discomfort, we turn to the thing which will offer us some sense of engagement and stimulation. And it's, it's typically very mind numbing stuff. So what we're trying to do is also teach people how to be that bit more present with themselves because I've, I've, I've given workshops to people that are running thousands, companies of thousands of people and I'm giving the workshop to teach them, to educate them on certain stuff about how they can change the flow of work within the company but they don't even have the capacity to receive that information because they're so overwhelmed themselves that they just want to say, but let's talk about me. Let's talk about how we can you know, fix all the stuff that I'm dealing with. So if the people at the top of these organizations don't even have the space or presence to think about their own attention, they have no regard for the rest of the people in their organizations. And ultimately that's leading to people living lives that lead to, or living and working in situations that lead to burnout and frustration in relationships. So it's about bringing, yes, more presence. But um, I don't think we're necessarily going down the path of total and complete mindfulness, but there is elements of mindfulness in what we do. Because we have such a focus now, don't we, on striving and doing. And Mm. sometimes it's okay to just be. And I think we've forgotten to celebrate that. And I want to talk about social media a little bit because... I'm almost annoyed that you've got rid of it altogether because we can't all do that and people won't all do that, that you couldn't find a way to just boundary it off, that it all just had to go. Because I think we all know that, okay, there's some great communities that have met online, um, you know, shared experience. We can learn from other parts of the world. Um, There's good crack. I've, you know, had some good laughs and stuff I've seen. but ultimately, I, do, I don't think it's, it's it's very good for me. I think of it as a as a work tool, and I, I do share a lot of things that I learn and work that way. Um, but quite often, I spend my time comparing myself to other people, um, and I don't feel like it's time well spent. So, as you say, if you're halfway through writing a script for a podcast intro, intro, and next thing I find, I'm scrolling, I'm actually saying. What were you doing there? Why are we doing that? And what a waste of time. And there's such a science behind self-compassion now that the more we're not using our time efficiently, the more we start giving out to ourselves and the more that's just more negative self-talk. So what works? Like an organized day for me would start with a list that I've actually written the day before. I've actually planned my day out. I know what's required of me. There is a written list And that will keep me away from the distraction as I work my way through that list. And I think, as you say, we've got so caught up in the the tech that we often forget the joy of a pen and paper and drawing that line to a a completed task. But I fall off that wagon on the regular. So is is that the key to it, the creating some of the boundaries that you said around notification, around planning our time and to just take time to be and be with ourselves and not lean into distraction yes all of that is 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 great but it needs to come from the reasons why we do all these things is from an emotional place and often we're guided to solve that with with logic and rationality but it'll never last you know i mean there's there's a gentleman by the name of near al and i saw him speaking in new york before it was one of the last things that i saw before the lockdown and he wrote a book called Hooked, which is basically the Bible for Silicon Valley and how to make um, addictive tech products. And uh, it's all about 
playing on the emotional vulnerability in people's minds and learning how to hijack that. But then he, as a consequence, started to realize how distracted he was becoming because of a lot of these tech products. So he wrote a book called Indistractable and Tools on How to Make Yourself Less Distracted. But his approach is totally through the logical and rational framework. And most people, it, there's so many lists out there of what you can do to be less distracted. But it, it, a lot of it is, is going through a very rational approach. Okay, I'm going to set forth this habit and whatnot. So that's not to say that these things don't work, but they need to be encased and wrapped around your kind of emotional attachment to it as well. So we do these things to fill an emotional void. And the way to start to move away from them is to get kind of clear on the emotional state that we want to have within ourselves. So why would I stop using it? Like, who is Claire today as a consequence of using these products? How is she? And how do I feel about her? How do I feel about her time is spent? Let me, let me take time over the weekend to write that out to myself. And what would I, what would I like Claire to, how would I like Claire to live like? And maybe who would I like her to be in three or four or five years? Not the goals and the material stuff, but who would I like her to be as a person? What would I like her to learn more about and to be more aware of? And as a mother, as a friend, as a broadcaster, what kind of person can she grow into be? These are really important things to, to take that kind of that, that daylight view of your attention. That's something maybe we can talk about that. It was something that I was exposed to recently, which is that there's kind of three types of our attention, which is the daylight, which is getting this um, it's a gentleman called James Williams, who was uh, working for Google. And he's left and he's now more of a philosopher on, on tech ethics. There's a good few of them, isn't there? They got out of them. Google and have started saying, yeah, be careful, Harris everyone. Yeah, another one. Yeah. And this Mo, was mentioned. Mo Gaudat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this one was mentioned in Johan Harry's book at the end where he spoke about this from James Williams. And I think this will answer your point, I hope, on, or your question. So there's these three kind of distinct types of attention. They're metaphors. They're not actual things that are spoken about in neuroscience, but that's way, a way we can make sense of them in our, in our own lives. The daylight of attention, which is that if, if, if a tourist arrived to Dublin and, or let's say Paris, Paris is maybe a better anchor, and it was nighttime and they arrived into a hotel and they had no sense without seeing Google Maps where they were in Paris, but then the daylight came in the morning and suddenly the city was covered in light, they'd be able to see hopefully the Eiffel Tower and get a sense now of where they were in the city and the basis of the Eiffel Tower. We need the same thing in having that in our lives, and we can only get that through space. We can only get that through kind of, you know, taking a drive by yourself on a weekend or going for a walk or... Shedding light sh- on the Shedding area. light on your life, your expansive life. You know, the people in it, where you are, how you got to this point, where you're hoping to go to, the person that you wish to be. All of those things, a very, a very broad and expansive view of the landscape of your life. Then the next thing is, is your starlight of attention. So we began with the daylight. The next thing is your starlight. And that's bringing a bit more purpose and direction towards the path of your life. So just like the three wise men, they needed to follow the starlight to get to where the stars to get to where they needed to get to. Similarly, within our lives, we need that, which is, you know, if, if, if you want to do certain things with your lifestyle, um, like what we're talking about with your attention, you need to have a sense of your life, your daylight of attention to set forth that starlight. You need access to that to dictate what paths because then I can say, okay, I'm going to get rid of these kind of products. I'm going to live in a certain way. And I'm doing that because I want my life to look like this. And then the final one is your spotlight of attention. And your spotlight of attention is ultimately the issue which we've been speaking about up to this point, which is our capacity to focus and engage with one thing at a time. And I spent so long trying to help people with their spotlight of attention 
to get to understand how it works why it works but i was disregarding helping people find clarity on their starlight and their daylight of attention and i realized that you can come and give all of these tools and techniques on how to be less distracted but if people don't have a sense of direction and purpose on where they want their lives to go and the why they want it to go there they're just going to regress back to the easiest thing and they'll just regress back to downloading the apps that they deleted so you need to have that sense of direction first and suddenly these decisions don't become so hard because if you don't go through that process and somebody comes and says delete instagram why would you because it's so part of your identity today but is it part of the identity that you want to move into over the next 3 years possibly not and if it's not the identity that you want to move to in the next 3 years then the decision becomes very easy and what about the idea if there's parents listening i have two children and often so much is is bandied about about screen time and you know my kids will say stuff now about oh I was asking my daughter why she wasn't hanging around with a particular friend and she said she she made a negative comment on one of my videos on TikTok and at eight I just thought that's such a strange sentence to even put together to to think I mean obviously we spoke about it and it's not important I've now turned comments off but for them to be in this likes and comments I would have thought was was dangerous territory likewise my son is 11 he's now starting to get a bit more freedom he's able to contact his friends but he could obsessively try and contact someone through ringing them on Snapchat and then he can see where they are that they're out that they're not at home and he can monitor when will they come back now he hasn't got annoyed about that just yet but I imagine as it gets as he gets older are they going to realize that they're at a party that they weren't invited to like it's opened up a whole new realm that we didn't grow up in but often I would hear the argument that when the TV came into living rooms people thought it would kill conversation and it hasn't yes it's distracted us a little bit more but we still talk so how do we navigate our way through this because I think a lot of us want to work alongside it rather than eradicate it altogether yeah but at the same time i don't think we can group all technology together you know like the the i'm the, to be honest there are times when i wonder what life would be like without my iphone and contemplate getting rid of it but i don't see that happening anytime soon and are there times where you contemplate what your business would be like if you went viral with tips on focusing yeah of course and it could be easily done but i feel like i'd just be adding more noise to the noise you know i'm not that interested in doing that it's not your starlight it's not my starlight no we we have the 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 work that we're doing is so meaningful and so important to me and i get to make myself available on wednesday and thursday afternoons for one-on-one 45 minute conversations if people wish to from the workshops so just to give context to it we do workshops with companies and um, typically teams ranging from you know anywhere between 20 to 45 people and they go through over five weeks learning uh, a, a much more expansive uh, series of kind of ideas of what we spoke about but also bringing a lot of these practices of which they choose to into their life so that after five weeks they've got a much greater sense of their brain their body their attention and how they orchestrate and design their their kind of their intended daily routine and daily environment in the way that they live and the way that they work and there's video modules which they go through and then we have kind of areas where we chat and discuss but it's 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 quiet forums it's not like it's a facebook group or anything like that and then we have live calls where we come together at the end of the week as a group um, of 20 40 people but 
that's a group discussion and there, we have wonderful conversations there about the things which are going to be implemented the things which are challenging where people need support to try and do some of the things which they want to bring into place but then people can have one-on-one conversations too with me on wednesdays and thursdays and if my focus was on trying to get viral with this stuff people would be once again receiving more shallow information they would receive it and then they would say oh yeah i know about that i know about working memory and they tell people about it but would they be implementing it or have a sense of depth about how it takes shape in their life no because i wouldn't be communicating it in such a way so there's probably a lot of people out there who are communicating this stuff on tiktok and where you can get it but my hope is to is to bring much more depth to the experience and i don't know if that's scalable maybe it will be we're kind of looking at the business this summer to think about what shape it'll take as more and more companies want to work with us. But I started out this business by putting lots of stuff out on Facebook and LinkedIn, and it got nowhere. And then I decided I'm not going to post about any of the stuff that I'm doing anymore. I'm just going to focus on the most important work. And things started to move then. So that's not moving to your question about children, but I think it's a very important thing in terms of business as well, or if you want to create meaning in this world. You don't need to keep, because if you're online all the time, everybody's going to be talking about your purpose, your mission, your direction. And if every day you're questioning your purpose and you're thinking that you need to review it based on what some, you know, entrepreneurial type people are, are presenting on there, you'd lose your mind because, you know, there's difficulties and there's challenges, but you need that starlight. You need that thing which you're working towards and that helps you to sustain through the challenging periods. So if you turn away from the noise, you can actually go deep and create something meaningful and you don't need to put it out there all the time and i understand if you're a brand if you're a consumer brand it's important you know if you're a restaurant it's important to have a good uh, instagram profile and all of that stuff but i wonder is it so important for every individual to be able to be sharing their stuff because are you actually expressing the depth and the meaning of your lived experience and are you robbing the people around you to get that from you which you want to offer but instead you're offering it in a very shallow way in these bite-sized formats in the hope of reaching some degree of virality which even if it does get viral it's going to be forgotten about tomorrow anyway yeah and again it comes down to focus and where your focus is going because it takes effort and if you're giving effort there you're taking it away from elsewhere and 100%. is that yeah. leading in the direction that you necessarily want to go so when you do the self-exploration create your own boundaries sharpen your focus and, and, and start using your healthy habits because as you said everybody's different people are night owls people have different circadian rhythms people have different you know stressors in their life working days goals dreams all of that so when you've kind of brought that together and with the people you've worked with what does it feel like to have your your focus in tune and your working memory together I mean, there's times, look, as a presenter, you're always going to be distracted. You're watching the time. You're thinking, what's your next question going to be? But there's also times as a mom, I'm driving along in the car and my kids are telling me something in the back and, and I'm not listening. I'm thinking about what's for dinner, what's next. Obviously, I'm watching the road. You know, chances are it's kind of inane, but you're still not fully in the moment. Likewise, I'll do it with a friend. And I know when we met first, you caught me glaze over a couple of times and often it'll be about... I think you were telling me something about a 
experiment about people and learning instruments um, and those that did it for love rather than having a target were actually more successful and I took that nugget of wisdom and next thing I'm thinking about my son and he'd expressed an interest in the drums and I must follow up about the drums and I think we're all leading that way is that a very normal human reaction or can we sharpen our focus and live a little more efficiently with our working memory we can and it's a it's a lifelong endeavor i think i mean it's 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 what if we're looking at that in terms of sharpening your focus and sharpening your attention it it is it is a it is a skill it is a or maybe it's a practice more to refer to it as it's a practice which you need to bring time and effort and attention to so if that's if that's something that you wish to do so for just on what you were saying about if you put all those things in place what's the outcome then the outcome is 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 probably more space but a lot of difficulty because with with the existing way of living if you're being occupied all of the time you're never really it's so in touch with the internal discomfort because you're stimulated and occupied by stuff suddenly if you remove these things and if you're trying to focus on the things that are important it'll feel a little bit hellish you know it's not going to feel so great but if you have a kind of a longer purpose about what you're moving towards who are you doing this for? You're doing it for yourself. It's an internal game. And it's, it's, it needs to be tethered to that person that you're moving towards. Because if you're just going to defer back to whatever is offered to you and easiest, I mean, there's so many things that you can, you can delve into. So when people do this and go through the workshop, we explain to them that this is not necessarily, it, it will feel like a transformational five weeks, but you won't be totally transformed within the capsule of these five weeks. It's just beginning after the fifth week. This is now your own journey to start re- constantly reflecting back on yourself, reflecting back on where you, your attention went today. And that's what I think is, is more valuable in life, is that if we can have the space and time, and it doesn't require you know, hours, but sometimes just 20, 30 minutes in a day, if you, can, if you can take that time on a drive, like simple things, okay? If you're driving home, just don't put the radio on for sometimes. Don't listen to music, just be there even chat to yourself aloud in the car how was i today how did that go where was i at if you can this is called metacognition where you can think about your thinking that's where change starts to come from because you start to bring awareness to how you're approaching life if you're out for a walk and you have your airpods in maybe keep them in but look as if you're on a call talk to yourself check in with yourself with how things are going you don't need to be consuming information and being stimulated all the time you need that space to observe and see yourself so that you can start to lead yourself now I'm not saying that all of this leads you to a Zen monk, because to become a Zen monk, you have to do the practice of a Zen monk. So it's not like that's what we're looking towards, that we're No, or that you then have to start this business and become this CEO mogul with millions in the bank. No. It's not about that. It's about being able to just it's be. A, it's about getting more of yourself for yourself. You know, we, 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 we hear so often about, well, what about if tech companies could tether your goals to the app rather than you know your their goals which is advertising maybe if it was your goals it'd be because i want to spend more time with this person and i want to see this person and i want to do these things but what about if it's just that i want to be able to be with me isn't that something that's very wonderful that we don't often have access to we never get taught how to how to deal and live with ourselves I, I, it was my sister's birthday a month ago and my, my mum passed away last year. She passed away in August of last year and my sister went back and looked at a birthday card that she got from my mum. And my mum was a great woman, a huge inspiration in my life and a massive teacher. 
but last year we we were in Mexico and her and I went to this yoga school for uh, about a month and a half together and it was such an amazing experience to learn a lot of these practices and to really do the work and um, she wrote such a beautiful card to my sister and she said at 65 no at 63 I'm just learning how to spend time with myself and it's such a gift I hope that you can start to offer this to yourself now because it'll give you a much brighter life ahead and that's ultimately what we're looking for we're looking for a little bit more connection and a little bit more time with ourselves and you don't need to do anything to do that you don't need to be in your head you just need to learn to try and walk with yourself to sit with yourself to go to a woods just to admire the beauty around you and that's a restorative thing and it doesn't have to be like i'm doing this so that i can do that just do it and if you can start to give yourself a little bit of that more time in yourself you'll start to reveal yourself to yourself and slowly but surely you'll start to become more aware of how you want to approach and live your life but it won't come through motivational videos on youtube it won't come through how-to books they can give you guideposts and they can give you a sense of direction in times of great confusion but the best teachers we'll ever get in our lives is is the introspection of ourselves and the access to ourselves and that's what we're all longing for we're longing for connection but the first person that we need connection to is ourselves i think well i'll put information on how people can find out more about momentum mind academy in the show notes but look you're going to companies and focusing on work but it's clear from what you said there it's so much bigger hmm. patrick mcandrew thank you so much for coming on thank you claire Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.